Welcome to another episode of the Blast From Cast From, uh, an hour tight, banter filled podcast about music. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the listen. Uh, if you've got Neil, you've got David, and then a second David. That's my understanding. <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to say a third David. I was like, that was in my mind it was just going to be further disrespected. <laughs> So we've got Neil and David and a third and a third David. He's lesser than the one we don't know. So the two thousand and one, yes. we're into it now, yeah. What? The year two thousand and one, we're into it now. Two thousand and one. Two thousand and one, we're into it. Two thousand twenty-one. What? What happened there? Was I breaking or were you? Oh, breaking. I'm broken. Okay. I have never been so genuinely dumbstruck in my entire life. I had no idea what to do. Ah, oh, tight hour. A tight hour. <laughs> We're going for a, a tight hour. Um, we'll forego the banter uh, yet again, uh, just to get right into the subject. So Banner gets punished. Banner gets punished. Synthwave music, which is uh, overwhelmingly... Nostalgic for the mid eighties type music genre. And <laughs> this is all staying in. <laughs> the quagmire. <sighs> As you know, nostalgia is something that we traffic in to a rather large extent on this podcast, given that we talk about anything but the current state of affairs in music. That said, I think this is the first time we've gone back and looked at something that in turn looks back. Are we crossing too many timelines here? What would uh, what would Doc Brown say about that? Yes, it's crossing doubles. Oh, I hate this guy. <laughs> um, it's like Back to the Future 2, alternate 1985, is what I think about Synthwave. I liked Synthwave when it made... Uh... I, I remember it coming along my way after round about uh, the, you know, films like Drive coming out, kind of popularised it quite a lot. So that's when I started getting listening to it. But um, yeah, and, and recently when we we're going to be doing this podcast, I thought, will I, will I like it? Because I haven't reached for it for a while. For the past couple of years, I haven't really thought oh, I'll listen to some of that. But listening to it again, I actually found that I do still enjoy it. It's like an imagined nostalgia, isn't it? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, a large amount of the people that were making this music, they weren't old enough to have uh, appreciated the early to mid-80s. Yeah, it's almost like a, like a clubhouse of people who've heard about a thing and then just decide to make their own thing. I think Synthwave might be the backyard wrestling of music, to be honest. It's the only way I can think of it, actually. <laughs> It's just people trying their own little moves and what they've seen on TV and, and you know, here comes a suplex. Okay, so why, why did this happen then? Let's walk through this whole process. I think that first synthwave... Uh, huh? The wave? The first wave of synthwave? No. Um, that seems to don't, have originated... Don't explain them. <laughs> it's good when you let them lie. That seems to have originated oh. with uh, the uh, Giorgio Moroder superfans, Daft Punk, and their 2001, back to 2001, uh, album Discovery. That was quite a colourful, you know, Giorgio Moroder 80s uh, sounding situation there. And from that, there was like a cohort of French house 
uh, or French house-inspired acts that seem to spread. That likes of Collagen Kavinsky, they've got a bit of a bit of daft punk about them. Justice. Uh, Justice, yeah, as well, yeah. That came around. Did uh, Discovery have a song called Giorgio Marauder, or at least dedicated to him? No, that was um, Random Access Memories was the one. That he, uh, or he features on one of their albums, doesn't he? There's, um, it's got an extract of him speaking, I'm sure, uh, the song that uh, that I'm thinking of, and then it goes into possibly a piece of his music, but they've kind of remixed it. Well, they love this guy. And something else that reintroduced people to the 80s, certainly people of a certain age, was the 2002 video game Grand Theft Auto Vice City. And um, we're in that age group. Uh, do you remember? Finally, finally we're talking about this uh, game. <laughs> this game. What are your memories of Grand Theft Auto Vice City and how 80s it was? Mm. I uh, left the job glorious. just to play it. <laughs> <laughs> you left gainful employment just to play this video game? Yes. As soon as it came out, I thought, I might be working for the next week. There's no way that I can do both of these. I was kind of a weirder one because um, by random chance, who you know, out of the two of us, host and David three, um, I had played the third one, Grand Theft Auto three. Obviously, that was the first three D Grand Theft Auto game, and heard about the, the Vice City coming out. And I'd seen it in the magazines and that, and was like, oh, don't know if I can afford this. Um, you know, my little pocket money. I don't know when two thousand two, <laughs> little pocket money, seventeen. Should have had a job by then. Um, I remember not really wanting to get, and I just, I just one of these things. I'd been like, oh, forget that. And I got, it was either a telephone call or maybe via text or some conversation with you, and you'd been playing it with your flatmate, and be like, this game's amazing. Uh, I went down that afternoon and paid like 50 <laughs> quid on your recommendation and never looked back. It was one of the best experiences games, even that first little bit when the you know the, the, the game starts up and Billie Jean comes on, it's so 80s and everything like that. Like That must have been what all these synthwave guys must have got tickled by because the feeling it gave you that 80s punch in the face you know loud shirts miami looking place the you know miami vice soundtrack basically um yeah it must have just given it a shot in the arm that had just been you know it, it lulled and then bang right up again 80s back it's not just about the pop socks or whatever they're called it's actually about the music and that's yeah. why it was good the soundtrack was acclaimed because it gave you that sense of Time and place. You've got Daryl Hall and John Oates, missing persons, Jurandra, <laughs> um, <laughs> the Pointer Sisters, Rick James, loads of people. Just a, an eighties. You've got um, Jan Hammer. Was it? That's the guy. Because you got a bit of um, yeah. Miami Vice actually um, in there. Yeah, they, just, they laid that on the the, the nose real thing. They did. It was very <laughs> yeah. A uh, lot of lot of that sort of eighties. They, they wanted to immerse you in this sort of radio from that era. Here's something that might be quite illuminating or uh, depressing, depending on how you take it. But the time that has now passed since GTA Vice City was released is actually longer than the time between the game and the game the year is set, 1986. How about that? Stop recording. Can you imagine oh. somebody bothering with a, a game set in 2002? <laughs> I think yeah, I think it's a weird one as well because it kind of we 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 basically stalled. It's almost like um, the way I feel about it is that people in the eighties might have got uh, you know nostalgic about the seventies and then the nineties about the eighties and then two uh, thousands about all previous decades and then we just sort of stopped because there's nothing cool in two thousand until now. There's nothing like you know though that decade. They just once it got to two thousand, it was like okay and the rest. 
But I think that was a weird one as well because we've we've done nothing sexy between <laughs> nine or oh, two thousand and two and now to be like oh make like you're saying no one would want to play a two thousand and two game would they? It's it's like all those decades we were wearing all of our best clothes and then when it came round to then they're all in the wash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I wonder um, if if you did have that game set in two thousand two, the the soundtrack wouldn't be quite as. I mean, ironically, it'd probably be the soundtrack to GTA Vice City if it was a game set in 2002 because everyone was playing that. Uh, but I think it's the, the, the makers of the game were looking back on their childhood, uh, clearly, which begs the question, are the late millennials, early Zoomer generation, are they now fondly looking back and remembering Dido or Puddle of Mud in the same way? Oh, no, they're going to go down with the ship on that one. So, yeah, not long after this, you got this variety of uh, electronic artists uh, Justice, you were mentioned there, Dave. M83, MGMT, The Knife. Uh, even Kanye West was getting in amongst towards the end of the, the decade there. That was 808 and Heartbreaks that he released. Is it unusual that he sampled Daft Punk, which is actually a cover or sample of another song? So what what happened? What is that category then? If someone samples a sample of something that samples something else. That's... Um, Pop music cannibalizing itself. Uh, I think Kanye West is actually the reason I dislike Daft Punk now because I've realized how much Daft Punk has just pilfered and sampled from other groups to the point it's it's silly. I mean, Kanye West is the reason I don't like Kanye West. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, take it easy, all right? Uh, Oh, we we like him here, actually. um, We've got a soft spot for Kanye West. He does, yeah, because yeah, easy means solutions. Yeah, yeah. So I, I say this in jest, obviously. Should we get back to what we're here to talk about? Which is we've listened to some of these uh, these earlier. We'll just we'll chop this up a little bit. We talk about this little first wave. Your um, Johnny Jewel, Desire, Chromatics, those early ones. Uh, how are we liking that? That's a little less. Well, we'll get into what it kind of turns into afterwards. But this this sort of synth pop, synth wave uh, music. How's it? How's it sounding to you? How's it hitting your ears? The spirit is there. The 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 body's not willing though. I think that there's like we'll see. We're obviously going to talk about the the soundtrack of a film in a bit. I'm assuming when I listen to a lot of these bands that have been featured in single songs, they get they get it spot on for one song that that absolutely encapsulates the feel of the '80s new synthwave style and all that and then you listen to the rest of the album and they don't get it. so it's a weird one because i definitely think is it desire or whoever does um under your spell it's yeah. on the drive soundtrack i listen to the rest of the album dog but that song comes out of nowhere like a like an uppercut and you're just like wow this album's gonna be amazing and it just it droops down again it, but it does have i think that, a lot of them can get bit. one right but oh yeah stupid bit yeah, regretful bit. Talky, oh, bit in the middle bit. of the song, that particular yeah. song. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's just it, I, I found with a lot of these synthwave bands in this kind of early stage, like Glass Candy um, and Digital Versa Color. Is that the the, the album or the? Am I might the wrong. That's one of the songs, isn't it? That that was the one that was in Bronson. Yeah. But like listening to that song, you're like, yes, here we go. And then you kind of listen to the rest of the album, similar again, not quite getting it. They maybe just. You know, it's just that Hail Mary of creativity and then maybe they deflated or they were warming up and eventually got to that one. So I'm trying to figure out in the recording process with a lot of these bands, maybe it was either getting their whole load out on the one song that sounds amazing and giving up on the rest or coasting and then 
power punch right at the end because they all do it and there's not many of these bands that can do more than one song that's good college is another one they had the uh a real hero featured in uh drive and if you listen to that um the album that we'd listened to that sound from that song a real hero uh not to say a one-trick pony but it, it certainly returns does it not <laughs> few times in that album yeah but i think that's what is upsetting because it reminds me of uh when i would just do the kind of roulette of oh i like the look of that album cover and be blown away by the entire album being amazing if i was like digging in the crate style going to all these record shops when i was younger but when i was a little bit younger and i'd go buy an album because i'd heard a song on the radio usually the rest of the album was nothing like those singles and that was always a disappointment buying an album that's why i used to kind of always just buy singles and not bother with a full album, then obviously when I get older, it was something you'd, you'd pursue. But it just reminded me of that. Like some of these, like I'm saying, they just can't, they can't maintain. It must be a hard, it must be like, you remember those, um, this is so out of the blue references, but do you remember in like, like a bowling alley or like a fun fair, there'd be a, a, an electric chair shock thing. It wasn't actually electric shock, but it was just really vibrating poles. And you have to see how long you can withstand it. That's why I think I feel like they are with these songs. They're like, oh, can't stay too long. And then they just, they let go because there's no way you would have that sound in you. And then any other song you create is just wet and horrible and not good. That That's why I feel like it must just be so hard to create that because there's no way you could do it for album after album. So they, they, they latch onto that sound because it's nostalgic. But to try and do it again, maybe they, they sound it all to the same and then they just go back to whatever they know. They know. So that's why these songs get picked and we're on that soundtrack. But I think it is maybe just too hard to maintain that nostalgia for 10 tracks in a row because then you're just kind of repeating yourself because you've got the spirit of the thing but you don't have the execution because you've not got the talent but that's me sitting here with a small glass of apple juice in my pajamas one of the i think one of the main people in this uh, this scene this emerging scene was johnny jewel who was responsible for desire chromatics glass candy a couple of others as, as i mentioned and he had uh Apparently gotten good with uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. I'm almost certain I'm pronouncing that correctly. Any correction? Well, you here? nailed uh, you nailed the um, who was the the lead singer of Diva. You nailed his name absolutely. I, I think Mark Wah, get again. The reason that we're talking about that is that what we're going to tackle is the the monument of synthwave music, the movie Drive, starring Ryan Gosling, directed by. Nicholas Winding Refn, written by um, that, that guy that wrote it. Him and Hossein Amini. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, oh, wow. Uh, I, but originally, James Salas, he wrote the novel. Can I get a name to say good? I mean, throw me a bone here, guys. <laughs> you, could, you could say any name that, um, that, uh, that you'd like. Well, it, was. Director of photography, uh, 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 newest Thomas Siegel. <laughs> Editor, Matt Newman. Uh, I've bored myself. Oh god! So, so let's 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 uh, let's drive on with this. Um, it's uh, it's drive. It came out in two thousand eleven. Oh, uh, yeah. just coll- yeah, uh, a collection of references from the nineteen eighties. <laughs> uh, bit of uh, Walter Hill in there. Bit of Michael Mann. Uh, thief, mm-hmm. the thief, the the driver, the le, the le samurai. Uh, those kind of oh. the man with no name. Those those. Uh, those steely, stoic uh, anti-heroes from, from those films. Mm-hmm. A little bit of Miami Vice in there. Anything else you think you're seeing uh, right off the bat from Drive? Karate Kid, great jackets. Oh, Karate Kid, great jackets. So, Oops, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, it's not Mark Mothersbaum or whatever the hell. Can't, can't nail it every time. Uh, 
Yeah, oh. just a, a melting pot of, of references. Probably the I don't know the closest mm. thing to, to Pulp Fiction since Pulp Fiction came out. Yeah, that's maybe a good check because it, it does feel like more of a medley of music videos than a film, mm-hmm. um, which we may get into. Well, right off the bat, um, you've got a, a very tense and eventful intro. Uh, mm. Everything's looking very nice, isn't it? Um, yes. Oh, yes. How's this comparing to our last uh, review, Belly? I mean, it was very, no. Belly was very evocative, wasn't it? Not to drag Belly into this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you were, you were kind of describing how you uh, didn't want to sympathize with the struggles of filmmaking while watching a film, but what's, how does that contrast with what you're, like right off the bat, what you're seeing with, with Drive? Yeah, it wasn't an issue here because um, I, said, I said to Dave in a private discussion this week, that I was actually kind of dreading watching this. Um, so 10 years, 10 years have gone by since I watched it, loved it when it first came out. But I wasn't sure if it was going to hold up when I when I rewatched it. But um, I thought it was fantastic. I th- I don't know if I actually maybe thought it was better than what I remembered it being because I never used to rate the end of it as as highly as what I did um, on watching it this week. I really enjoyed it from start to finish. Oh, that was great. Well, this this little intro here, you've got an introduction. You see the famous jacket with the scorpion there. He's mm-hmm. He is talking, and it does sound like it's some sort of shady business, doesn't it? You know, something's uh, about to go down. He is very tense. Um, mm. What is it, a robbery of some sort? Yeah, because you can tell, because obviously later on it kind of fleshes out his character being quite uh, disconnected from humans, how they, how they interact. It's a bit like Taxi Driver style. I think that's what, another reference I was thinking of earlier on, like kind of Taxi Driver. Um, not sure if he fit into the world style, but that conversation at the start, even though it's all slick and that, it almost works for me because it feels like he's rehearsed that because he knows that's his little code in his brain and that's how he gets through whatever he's going to wait, wait to do. And it's just so blah, 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 hit the hit the things, five minutes either side. He's got his little time thing. If people follow his rules, nobody messes with him kind of thing. But it's not from a hard point of view. It's just how he copes with it. That's how I took it. Yeah, he's got to go through his little, his little yep. yeah. spiel. Um, his little checklist. So this is where we find out that he's a good driver, basically, isn't it? Oh. He's a good driver. What? Um, he's not He's not bad. He's yeah. not. He's, he's not too bad. <laughs> then you've got the um, this shot, this title sequence. It's the helicopter shot over the sky, and you've got the thief typeface. Um, and I think that's where you uh, know this is going to be a style over substance masterpiece. Right away, you got Kavinsky night call. This is your first taste of the the synthwave action. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what, it's quite, it's quite leaves quite the impression, doesn't it? That title sequence. It's, oh, it's possibly was, the best that... intro to a film I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I think yeah, that was the trouble. Like... That's like only weak leg of that film is that it starts off so good that no film could live up to that that first opening sequence. Yeah. It's impossible. Because I was the same as David. I don't think it was a full 10 years, but it's definitely a while since I watched I think whatever recommendation from you again, Neil, say, I'll watch Drive. I think it took me like th- three years maybe to watch it. So it did take a wee while, but I haven't watched it since then. But it was one of these things like, I remember the intro, I remember the the, the, the tension of that tick-tock or whatever it's called, the intro song, and then you know, that da, 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 and the driving and the smooth sounds, but then the roar of the engine and all this stuff. And then when that Kavinsky song hit, because I'd been like, oh, I remember, that was okay, I think I remember. But when that hit recently, I watched it on Saturday, and it was just like, oh! I like, I honestly, it was almost, almost got knocked out of my seat of like, I am about to enjoy myself. And just remembering like that intro and the shots of the skyline and all that stuff. And the, it just was like, yes. Uh, it's like when you get, um, just when you get a McDonald's, let's not product place, when you get a big burger meal uh, with fries and all that stuff, when you get a big burger meal, 
with all the fries um, and just big milkshake and it just it satisfies and it's it's from start to finish everything's a pleasure and you want more but there was no nutritional value in it at all it's a big burger meal big burger meal um early scenes here the, the intro is me smelling the burgers okay <laughs> Shortly after that, these early scenes, you're getting the idea that this is, um, I guess, an unusual guy. He doesn't seem to be on the wavelength of most people. He had a few interactions here with, with Brian Cranston, who, was he in four seasons into Breaking Bad at this point? Yeah, this is this is where I kind of, it was a bit of a contrast from seeing it, because obviously he'd, he'd been re-creamed up in the, the acting sphere by being in Breaking Bad, and people were aware of him, and he was starting to get these kind of roles. But what I kind of, because he got a, a lot of roles, and a lot of them were just like, hey, it's Cranston from that show. Put him in. Not always a good formula. But in this, he actually falls back in some... Re- like, I really like Cranston in this film. I'm calling him Cranston. We're buddies. Um, but in this film... Because he's just he's he's equally good because he's little and subtle and we'll get to the other bad casting I'm sure we'll get to the terrible Mrs Doubtfire mask bad guys um, Daniel Hillard forgot to take off the Mrs Doubtfire mask in the toilet faced Albert Brooks but we'll get to that in a moment um, Brian Cranston I just think and there's a bit later on in the film where he kind of gets caught you know he's trying to maybe get away and um, his facials and that were almost gauzing levels of sore heart. La La Land style, you know, little moments of all you need to do is act with your eyes sometimes. I really like Cranston for that because when he does, when he's on, he's on. And like Gosling through this whole film, he was on for me. I absolutely, I I, I really like Ryan Gosling. I really like him, okay? (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Um, I thought the supporting cast in general was really good. I liked Oscar Isaac. I thought he kind of created a character of a kind of a a guy who's just a born loser in a way. Like he's always got, you know, he'll always have something, you know, on his back basically. And he he does it well. It's not much, but it's, it's just done right. And Christina Hendricks was good as well for her tiny kind of bit in the film. It's just, yeah, I thought a lot of it was cast really well yeah. even like the kid is not annoying the kid doesn't have any dialogue yeah. or anything it's just you kind of get the dynamic of that even though there's very little dialogue around it i, I, I thought it was well done now well now that oh. we've, gone, we've run down most of the um the supporting cast we might as well go straight to um uh, hellboy and uh, albert brooks um and here we oh. got a problem with albert brooks i i so my assumption 100 percent, he ass- is the worst choice for Wait, a bad so, guy ever, okay? Oh, I, did you? I didn't like Albert Brooks. Let me. I, 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 I absolutely. Assume, oh, let I just, me speak. I, I just. I'll, I'll speak first. I've, I'd assumed this was a taxi driver nod because he's obviously in Taxi Driver, uh, among many other things. But I could be wrong. It could just be like he wanted to cast Albert Brooks um, as the uh, as the main bad guy. May I? May I, I? You assured me I could speak. You can speak. Democracy manifest, okay? Um, Albert Brooks is a he's known for being a comedian, yes? Mm-hmm. Now, not all the time. You know, Billy Crystal, he's turned his hand to some serious, kind of almost serious roles. But at the end of it, he's always going to be the funny little guy who makes the little noises. But comedians <laughs> well, uh, can't do serious roles all the time. And I think the reason he doesn't work for me is because all I can imagine is the voice of Scorpio in The Simpsons, and I obviously know him as the silly guy in Taxi Driver, and whether that's an odd or not. He's, he would be good as a Michael Myers mask. I, I, I thought he was... Uh, <laughs> I, would, I really enjoyed this bad guy. <laughs> oh, finally, just some guy that's talking to you. Like, yeah. uh, casually slices you up. It's fine. It's okay. It's over now. <laughs> You're like... 
It's done. Uh, yeah, he's the only one. He's <laughs> the only one in the film that has a surname bizarrely. Everyone else is just known by their first name only. Or or no name. Uh, our our main man has. Uh, he's known as Driver, has he not? Or the, yeah, the driver. Um, but let's let's proceed with his story. So he wordlessly helps uh, Carrie Mulligan uh, with her with her car issue, and then so he's invited back to her flat to have a bit more mm-hmm. sort of just staring and. Um, nodding and drinking drinking some more. But they, they really form a relationship based on this, don't they? Yeah, zero words, forever bond. I liked it. Then then this is, I guess, where you start to get the, the story about that he's involved in some sort of race car thing with uh, Albert Brooks's character. Um, and then she comes to get her car fixed again at Brian Cranston's garage, and then um, the driver happens to be there, and then he, he drives her home. Um, and asks, do you want to see something? And this is where the, the real hero music starts coming in. And they're they're on the old flood control channels. And then next to a little lake thing. Mm. That was a sweet little moment. It's uh, it was quite it was quite funny as well because I I was watching it with uh, with my partner. Um, and uh, at that point, she's like, oh, this is a really nice gentle film. <laughs> And I, I was thinking, oh, you don't know what's ahead, but um, yeah, the slow, the slow walk say, holding the the child, cradling the yeah, child. Yeah, I think it's going to be some sort of really romance, gentle film about you know. Is this the and notebook then he adopted, <laughs> yeah, and then he adopted the boy. Oh. But um, it was quite funny as well because I, I don't know what what is the thing you you I I just like it as well. But you know, like um, in a in a film, you know, uh, there's a song that's like. The lyrics are pretty much saying what's on screen, you know. I'm, I've just been shot, and I'm next door, and uh, someone's just ordered pizza. Yeah. Very specific lyrics to the stuff yeah. that's happened. That happens a couple of times in this film, and yeah. I didn't didn't quite mind it, but it was quite, um, you know, I can't get you out of my head. You're basically, you know, all I think about, and the, the shots are of them two. He's in his flat. Flickering with a little tinker toy, and she's having a party for her husband who's come back. And it's so like, this is um, this is the next thing, isn't it? Oscar Isaac returns from jail apparently, oh, yeah. and that puts a bit of um, throws the cat among the pigeons. Um, and yes, yeah, so our, our man's just sitting tinkering with the tinkering with the car stuff, and uh, that's when Desires Under Your Spell comes on, which is yeah, as you're saying, it's a it's a very memorable song, turned up really loudly. So this film, because it's got like the retro thing. And the soundtrack, and there's certain things about it, like this scene, where it's really on a knife edge between, it's like very fragile sort of film and a knife edge between being super cool and like super cheesy. And yeah. this is where it starts to get a little bit shaky between the two things. It's the, it's the <laughs> bit it where comes you back go all from... of, yeah, it's, it's a total, that's a music video, that that section of him sitting there the the lighting and everything's very moody as well and it is a mo- it's just a music video that that whole bit yeah. until he gets out yeah. into the the hallway and actually the dialogue starts up incidentally it's probably like some of the most dialogue um traded uh, throughout the that's that's like a, a lot it's, of it's weird isn't it he suddenly comes along and oh god people speak in this film yeah they um just like on a on a slight side note so like i got a little bit curious about the book that it was based on <laughs> and um you're able to download a sample of it through uh, a big shopping um online shopping retailer so I, I got i got a little sample i read it and um 
uh, you, you actually got like a chapter or two chapters are quite short um and it was interesting you know how the how the story was originally and how they turned in a film driver speaks in in the book um and i think it, i think it was quite good that they made him mysterious and didn't, not talking as much but um in the book he's he's very very clever but he doesn't like enter in a lot of conversations with people and um it's kind of hinted at that he's got quite a lot of money. Like, you know, in the film, he's living in this um, place where they're kind of probably like a bit of a struggling family in some regards, yeah. like, um, or they don't show it as being like a squalor pl- place, but um, it says that like he seeks these places out because no one bothers you and no one gets into your business and stuff. Ironic, I know, but like, given the it's <laughs> right in amongst some business, but um, I think that's the that's the kind of point of this was that he was he, he was the way they put in the book that is that he's happiest existing one or two steps to the side of the common place, if you will, like outside the uh, the rat race, basically, just nobody could really notice him and stuff. And then off, also just op, opts for like a, a white silk scorpion jacket um, at the same time. <laughs> Likes living dangerously, this guy. But yeah, it's kind of an interesting, uh, like added a little bit of extra insight into the the character and what you know. There's, he's probably nothing not in the film there. that contradicts that, is there? But you wouldn't you wouldn't no. be able to pick that up from from watching no. the film. You know, he needs three hundred grand for that car. He's probably got it, but yeah. he's thinking, I'm not going to spend my money on this. Because uh, well, I mean, we'll get to we'll get to what happens to old um, speech given Oscar Isaac, but yeah, just on the that knife edge sort of movie thing, uh, this this diner scene, which I think you want to speak about, uh, David, is is kind of next up, isn't it? Where this guy approaches him, uh, some guy that had been on a previous uh, job, um, mm-hmm. and he's was was he say? I think he's like because the, the, obviously the guy comes over, and goes, hey, my brother, and uh, we tried to go on a different job without you, and and then but then the. The driver guy goes, um, how about you shut your mouth and I'll, or I'll shove your teeth down your throat or he basically threatens to knock his teeth down his throat. Shut the your usual mouth line. or I'll kick your teeth down your throat and shut it for you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Um, this is where, because it absolutely is, it's on, the, it's on the mountain road, right? It's tipped almost over the edge of that, you, you know, under your, under your spell and then, you know, oh, it's cheesy. And then that scene... Because this is where I kind of this is where my Ryan Gosling fanboyness started was the joke of it being I'd kind of half heard of him. It's not quite a Matthew McConaughey character, but you know he'd been in obviously romantic films and that, right? But it's this scene where he goes to deliver that line, and at first you're laughing, going blue-eyed guy, what's he said? But when he keeps staring, yeah. even I was like, oh, oh my god, <laughs> I will also shut up. It's That's, like um... he turns it in that moment. It was it was shaky. It was it is yeah. It's the the sort of blue eyed Ryan Gosling, and I was thinking um, at the time that I think yeah James Can could get away with saying that there'd be no problem whatsoever. I think it's yeah it was a bit knife edge for for Ryan Gosling, but like you say, so he really keeps going with that stare. Was it also like I, I thought the other night watching it was there a little bit of an element of you know he's done well at the at his weird love triangle place, like you know he's he's kept control of himself there. And now he's sitting in this cafe, and, and I mean, his answer probably under normal circumstances would have been like, "No." But um, the, on that particular evening, he's actually feeling quite, quite stormed internally. Where have you thought about Ryan Gosling at this point? He certainly comes in with the smooth dr- action driving, doesn't he? When he's parking the the car in that that garage, and there's two there's oh, two wow. bad guys go past. The no look, the no look neck, uh, regarding two guys walking, and pulls into the bay. <laughs> With sheer perfection, that was that. <laughs> this guy knew 
Um, I'm going to pull you back. Um, and not just one treat, but two, but three. And by the end, you've got a whole popcorn bag, okay? And I was munching. I like the scene. <laughs> <laughs> so then that's obviously when Oscar Isaac's lying on the, the floor beaten uh, by these oh. two guys. There's, there's some reason uh, this results in him having to commit a pawn shop robbery, which doesn't go so well uh, for Oscar Isaac. Uh, he gets shot. Uh, there is a car chase. Very spectacular car chases oh, where you yeah. start to get the... I guess if you were going to this film hoping to get some sort of Fast and Furious action, which I don't know if you've seen the trailer for, it does give a slight misconception about what the film is. <laughs> um, but here you've got your, your car chase, and it's a rather good one. So there's a bit of a spectacular car chase, and that leaves us leads us to the motel where uh, the driver tells Blanche, which I've, we've kind of skipped over here. That's um, Christina Hendricks' <laughs> character, Blanche, who's also along in this uh, pawn shop robbery with uh, Oscar Isaac and Ryan Gosling. Uh, and he suspects something, something's up, something's gone seriously wrong here. Uh, he goes to, to the bathroom, and then this just becomes, well, stuff happens. <laughs> it gets oh, a bit crazy. The way it's directed, this is similar to the, um, let's go back to Belly, but the reason that, starts quite well it's like the the visuals and the way it's done are quite good and the same with this film there's a tension and a weirdness you're like oh something's about to go down they obviously switch to slow-mo and he's like readying himself you know almost carlito's way style for the 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 stuff that's the way he burst through the door come through the window and he just sort of handles both guys but it's like is that just to show he's Willing to just noise some guys up, or he has the talent to. I'm not. I'm not sure what the kind of. Yeah, the, the the gift in the book was that that scene is in the sample that I downloaded. Um, oh, it's 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 good. It 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 kind of shows how clever he is. That that whole bit, because even after he's uh, dealt with these guys, it's quite noisy because he he fills the second guy with the first guy's shotgun and what have you, and there's already mm. been a head exploded um, prior to that. So I think there's two shotgun blasts. And um, in the book, he stands there for quite a wee while, like listening to all the noises round about to kind of figure out what it's going to be the landscape outside. You know, instead of panicking and grabbing the bag or anything, he like sits and waits and hears for like, you know, for sirens or anything like that before he makes his next move. It's is actually mm. uh, pretty good. And I think they kind of did a bit of that in the film, although they kind of go more for just he coming out the blood-soaked face all of a sudden. Yeah, that really blue-eyed boy has been, yeah, he's different. It's not quite the last time you see him with a, with a, with a new face <laughs> in this film. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's capable of some, some business here because it's hammer time after this, isn't it, where he goes and visits. Yeah. He, he, gets the, he somehow gets the name <laughs> of the... Oh no, he he knows who the guy is because this is the guy that set up the the uh, the operation. He goes to the guy um, into yeah. the the strip club that's that's framed in a certain way when he's in there. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's he's giving him the the old boy treatment this time, isn't he? Oh, yeah. mm. This film dips in between music video style and really well put together character development because that's where I get confused with it because obviously Colin back because the the guy's got the hammer, he's got a bullet that the guy had actually tossed and the young boy to be like, hold on to this for me. And it's almost like a kind of anger of even coming near him, like, I, I'm going to hammer this bullet into your head. Like, he actually might do it before he even gets the information out. Of his only two buddies in the world, he, he obviously enjoys the the, the the woman and her son are two people who's kind of, he's allowed in his world. And the audacity of this guy to have tossed this bullet and be like, hey, I'll come back for it, try to be cool. But it's like, I'll show you how cool you are. I'll hammer this into your head. 
but that's what he's feeling at the time because his his mission was to find out whose whose money it is or what he's who he can give it back to. So the whole thing is over. But there's a moment where you're like, oh, he's actually going to do it. That weird. He just hates him. He just completely. Yeah, hates yeah, him yeah. That's again. it. It's just it's just hates. He just hates everything about him. So because he doesn't like him when he's when he's talking to him in the tar pits and that as well. He doesn't like him either. Synth wave. He he he. So. <laughs> What happened was he somehow has Nino's money, who is the uh, mm. the Ron Perl- Perlman character. So L- LA must be quite a, a small city, or everything just seems to take. Yeah, a little uh, convenient. Out, that. Little, uh, little <laughs> yeah, I laughed at that as well. So, um, so he driver lives next door to uh, to Standard Gabriel, which is Oscar Isaac's character. Uh, he just happens to have got involved with uh, his wife or girlfriend. Nino's people in jail got him roped into something. Uh, to do a heist for the driver to help with. Um, the heist is for Nino, who's the brother of Albert Brooks's character, who is putting money into Brian Cranston's cars, who which are driven mm-hmm. by the main character. Are there any other it almost, super coincidences it almost that seems, <laughs> It almost seems like there's a small cast. <laughs> yeah, I think Just a uh, bit. it's possible as well. I mean, the... Um, like I say, he kind of spends his time in the the neighborhoods which are like more salubrious or whatever, or less salubrious. What does salubrious mean again? That's the good uh, or bad. Salubrious <laughs> is um, uh, excessive, and you know, um, excessive, luxuriant. Seems okay, seems well, Dave's being salubrious for using that word. I was I I yeah I overreached myself. Now uh, I, I've got to live with the shame of that. The the neighborhoods he lives in and stuff, and you think, well, maybe it's just like, yeah, there's the criminal kind of top of the chain guys who also live there but yeah it was quite a kind of very small world isn't it speaking of small world and, and small spaces it's elevator time next isn't it or, or lift time would depend on which country <laughs> you're in um where ryan gosling gives uh, irene carrie mulligan's character a wee kiss and then brutally and, and I, I mean brutally uh, murders a man right in front of her stomps the head until it is now no longer considered a head uh, then reveals his yeah, true scorpion back, face. Yeah, that was that turnaround face is fantastic. Like, I know it's a bit, it's a bit showy and a bit shot. Let's look at this elevator door closer. But I absolutely love the the sort yeah. of shot of the jacket and then his turnaround face of like, this is me. Yes. <laughs> She's just looking at him, going, "Oh my god, it's Frankenstein's monster!" And I was like, "Yes." Head stamp, yeah. perfect. So yeah, after that, the the ele- the elevator doors close, and uh, that's uh, that's between the, the the distance between them. She's she's seen a, a new side to him. It turns out apparently that Nino had stolen money from the mob and something something. Um, and then as Albert Brooks put, put, put it, the family, you know, the family, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's like, oh yeah, you know, everyone knows the family. It's like, so, oh, it's um, who wrote this? After that, everybody has to die, apparently, including the guy eating pizza right there when they're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, four guy next um made no sense. Um, I like the um, I actually quite like that scene. Um, but mainly just for them to talking that way because Ron Perlman when he first comes in they're looking at the cars and he doesn't like the race car but he likes another car and he says a line of dialogue which I found personally offensive um, but yeah later in the film I did actually I, I thought his character was just much better in that scene um, and uh, I, I I didn't fully mind that it was there was definitely some um, exposition happening uh, while they were talking but 
I don't know what it was about it. It's maybe just that I'm a sucker for stuff that's shot quite nicely and I liked the look mm, of the scene and stuff. That, everybody everybody has to die, including Brian Cranston as well, who also gets the um the knife treatment. Um it's a horribly violent film. Carl but I mean, thinking about that river scene where they're enjoying the great day, I mean Oh no, <laughs> it was <laughs> seems like a razor bladed wrists. And yeah, the guy with his too. box of different knives, but why? Why would have a razor blade in amongst some knives? Anyway, Albert Brooks. He's, yeah. I uh, yeah, his little murder box on display, proud. Um, the the thing with the the scorpion thing, I got a bit. I had to look that up and look at what the meaning of uh, scorpions are. And <laughs> this guy just can't let anything alone, can he? <laughs> look at the meaning of scorpions. What scorpions <laughs> about? It's protect one. Of the, there's one of his protection is a sign of protection, and one of his a sign of death. And yeah, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if they, that is something that they took across from the book or it's developed more in the book or whatever, because uh, he definitely does both. He he protects and brings a hell of a lot of death and destruction as well. This um, next bit is where it gets really uh, Nicholas Winding Refn-y, where he walks about with the, the jacket covered in blood and motor oil, um, <laughs> and then he gets the mask that he used as his stunt double for um, the, the actor with no hair. And this is where he, he, he kills Nino. Um, <laughs> he tries to escape into the scene, no, apparently. No, 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 no. <laughs> go, go right back, back the f*** up, right? <laughs> the f***ing scene where they're in the bloody restaurant and he slowly walks up to the perfectly oh. cut hole in the door and stares through with the mask. That was another shaky on the edge of the... Edge of the cliff moment for me. I was like, "What is going on here?" That's oh, it stupid. takes a particular type of director to say, "Let's do this." Bit. I was delighted. <laughs> I enjoyed it, Dave. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, but it was just like, "What?" And then he falls in the car, like, and it's just like wearing the mask, and oh yeah, <laughs> let's get the hell out of here. Lights on, like yeah. rammed off a cliff, and and then he's got he's only really got the use of one arm, but then. Um, temporarily gets the strength of it back uh, to to drown him in the sea, basically, doesn't he? But Does, it's yeah, brilliant. What, he runs that, away into the sea and I the wave washes him right back to him. <laughs> trying to escape Yeah, that the awkward. <laughs> the awkward, like, obviously it must have been a shot they had to use, but the, the stupid washing him back to the guy in the mask. <laughs> and it's like, it is so student film. Oh, well, I better choke you now. And that's the thing is like it's so it's just so many moments where you're like should I be enjoying this but yeah it just rewards you in the next scene where you're like yeah of course you should be so not long after that um, Albert Brooks makes our driver a very unappealing deal they they stab each other up um, and then that's that's where you get the the forty unblinking seconds that that got me as well because I didn't like the stupid uh, Albert Brooks Chinese restaurant stabby ridiculous scene I thought. Because I was like, That's, that doesn't really feel like danger. But then it was like, oh, no. You see that you see his foot, and it's obviously panning up. And then you're like, oh, my God, no. That character, I loved him. Everything about him. Oh, I'm, I'm going through so many emotions. 30 seconds in. Oh, what else is going to happen? I, I can't believe this is the end of the film. Blink. That is what this film does. It sort of takes you to the edge of, I'm not enjoying myself. And then it just, pow, gives you another little, uh, just a, a burst of, of enjoyment. It's good well, I'm bit, glad he did blink because it was some of the worst dead acting I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> you were not convinced. No, I, I, I could see kind of micro judders in him. Um, so I was like, I couldn't Are actually you remember. you right up close to the TV screen? Honestly, I was like going, I hope he's alive because I can kind of see his little wiggles. 
<laughs> moving a little bit but um yeah it's, it's still quite enjoyable that arm though he needs to get that arm seen too yeah he needs to see uh, and also the new stab wound yeah the um <laughs> the you're, you're bringing in uh the real hero music again Carrie Mulgan tries his door with no success and then um that was a funny bit wasn't it and then he he drives off into the night I thought that was a good bit with her doing that little uh, little coming in just to to what, what was that for? Was that just to show I, you that wasn't over as far as she's concerned? But he drives off at the night. He's away, isn't he? Cause yeah, no, I, thought, I don't think he's coming back to that location again. He's going to go two yeah. streets down and become involved in another um, criminal conspiracy love triangle. I think it was just, yeah, because obviously he, he phones her to say the time with you and your son was, was some of the best in his life. Um, even though he's a complete maniac who stabbed the head, and I think that little trying of his door was like, oh, I would still be willing to see some head-stamping lovemaking from you. Um, and I guess that was like, they, they, they could never be, and then obviously the driving into the into the distance. You're not really meant to get a happy ending living that kind of life, are you? Yeah, you should. I think um, that was fair. That, that was like, she she deserves like a good life and stuff, but possibly not him. Yeah. She's almost too pure, sake. too pure for head stamping. Yeah, he deserves right. nothing. <laughs> right, so that's and that was Drive. So we touched, we obviously touched on the soundtrack a little bit. Johnny Jewel was um, tasked with uh, or asked to do the score for Drive, and apparently, the album that he released afterwards, um, themes for an imaginary film, which apparently contained some of the score that was rejected so i don't know if you've had a chance to to listen to this but um the guy johnny jill claims that not everything in this is was meant to be in the drive soundtrack but at the very least it does give you an idea of what it would have sounded like what do you think this would have done to the film there's more liveliness i don't think i mentioned that um privately privately um there was it's just too like that's why you have to pick and choose which was actually in the in the or supposed to be in the film because it was too jumping some of it was had that atmosphere that kind of creepy atmosphere because obviously the cliff martinez one's more um it's cliff martinez isn't it yeah i think yeah. i think i think yeah. you're right he kind of pulls it back a bit i think if he'd gone full synth wave yeah. on this uh, movie yeah it would have tipped it over yeah i think it's it, it didn't work for me because obviously after the fact you're like oh well i enjoyed the film but then then again um there are films that have been re-edited and they're actually better on the second viewing. I mean, there's probably people out there who've, who think the um, voiceover of Blade Runner is the best one. Or um, yeah. There's also a, another version of Payback with Mel Gibson that's actually that's fantastic. Did you but hear um, about the um, Zane Lowe edit of this film where he got oh, a bunch of oh, no, yes together and yes. it's like some sort of Radio 1 presentation Ugh. and re- and gave it a new soundtrack, which is an interesting thing to do for something where the soundtrack's one of the more famous things about yeah. the film. I've never seen <laughs> it myself. Idea. I'm not sure I would want to do that. I find it difficult to disassociate with um, remakes and things yeah. like that once I've seen them. Because this is a film that is like so many little music videos, basically in little moments. It's not actually a complete film. It's just a bunch of, it's almost like a, it's almost like a sketch show of, of different moments because like, like I said, there's, there's some things that don't match, but then you're just treated to this visual and audio pleasure right after. It's almost like, Oh no, don't worry about that. Look at this. Look at this beautiful thing. And you do. Yeah. If someone was to turn around to me and say that they had a copy of drive which was cut to the um, the symmetry, whatever. I mean, there's two hours or over two hours worth of music in that symmetry themes for an imaginary film, isn't there? So there is quite a lot in there. There's probably enough to score this film in a few different ways. 
Um, I would be interested in seeing it. If someone actually had what they had in mind for that, I would definitely want to watch it so, just to see what it was like. I think the, there, there may exist a, a version of that because I think it, it got a certain amount into it. And I do wonder if, you know, when you're kind of editing the thing together and Nicholas Swine and Refram was watching it and thought, oh, actually, because um, Cliff Martinez was brought on quite late, apparently. And he'd maybe there was a, there maybe exists a cut of the film that has some of that. And he just thought, oh, yeah, it's tipped it over. It's too much. It's too pastiche. <laughs> I don't want to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the decision's already been made. Yeah. You didn't like it. I thought it was hypothetical. And there, there's a, there is Synthwave. Any of the other ones you want to talk about? The the ones that you've dipped into? So, I mean, part of the task was that you go and... Because it's a genre that we've heard before, but it's not something we've delved hugely deeply into. Did you come up more enlightened after your, your research that you'd done? I kind of mentioned this earlier on when it was the same with Drive and Synthwave was both of them I thought um, am I going to enjoy them because I've not reached for either of them in a while um, going back and I, I did I did kind of wonder has one fared better than the other as well um, or aged better and my conclusions on Drive are that I actually enjoy it more I think it's, it's very good Synthwave when I went back and listened to that my conclusion was just that good good synthwave is good music and will I'll probably never get bored of hearing that even though I might not necessarily reach for it all the time it'll you know it's not just necessarily a fad but there was kind of um a lot of padding around it when it when it was a big thing everyone was doing it and some of that stuff doesn't really stand up sure but I probably mm-hmm. didn't like it that much when it came out anyway you know but the good stuff will remain good it's it's fantastic when it's uh, when they get it right. It's really good. Yeah, it's not maintainable for an entire album. You can see that with a lot of these people. But I'll say, seek it, and I probably shared it to you guys as well. But the Miami Nights, nineteen eighty four. I think there's an album around about two thousand and twelve. It's probably right after this film. But the I think the covers like either Ocean Drive or one of the songs Ocean Drive. But that whole album I listened to again, and it was like a, like you're saying, if you don't reach for it, and you wouldn't have, it wouldn't be in your catalogue. But the minute I listened to it, I was like, oh my, this is fantastic. And Power Glove. Night Force uh, is to be heard and and enjoyed and believed. It's got like snippets from the the film Cobra in the background. It is literally like oh. look at all this eighty stuff. It's just like a little scrapbook, but that's fa- fantastic. And there's some other tunes on like an EP that they've done, but that song is just enough. And then if you go too much, it's too sickly. It's like having too much of a carry out or something or some takeaway. Um, once you get full, you're not enjoying it anymore. And I think that's what a lot of these bands have found that. If there's too much of it, it's like, well, the nostalgia is is good. It's I'm liking, thank you. And then you're like, oh, well, here's another, and here's another. And you're like, well, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I like to remember, and then I can go back and look at the actual stuff. But when you get too nostalgic for an entire, like, ten tunes, but I would say the way Miami Nights 1984 has done it is definitely the way to do it. Basically, they're like two-minute-and-a-half songs, and the longer ones, they're long for the right reasons. And it's a the, the album cover art and the way it sounds is perfect. And I think that's the way you should do it, not too much faff um but yeah it's just a it must be such a hard thing to sort of grasp onto and make perfect because it's not you know a bit like this film even though there's moments you're like wow best looking best sounding film i've ever seen and then you know albert brooks on his back beside a bag of money for a finale of a film it just becomes uh, what do you like all right i'm happy with that i'll start to wrap it up (laughs) (laughs) right i'm happy with that (laughs) The baths run. <laughs> baths run. Right. And there's Synthwave. Maybe we could put a little playlist uh, playlist up for the people to enjoy. So thank you very much for talking about that. Um, and thank you for listening. 
talking about the music without actually talking about the music. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Oh. Bye. Bye.